Hello everyone, Dr. Julie here, and you are listening to my Coffee Chats podcast. I am a health researcher, PhD trained, and chef self-trained, on a mission to leave the next generation and our planet a lot more of a healthier place. This is your space to ask questions on topics that no one seems to want to discuss, with information that is backed by research, along with a good dose of practical advice. Real talk, real people, real answers. Let's get into this week's episode. Today we've got three great caller questions on the use of scales to track progress, bribes and rewards, why these don't work and what we should use instead for toddlers, and how to dissect all of the information that we receive online. The first caller question was, you mentioned, Julie, in your first podcast that you don't use scales so how do you track progress and why don't you use scales I was just chomping at the bit to answer this because like so many of you I spent a huge portion of my late teens and probably all of my 20s on those bloody things weighing myself sometimes multiple times a day willing that gauge to change and my whole self-worth and self-esteem wrapped into that ridiculous little number and as I've mentioned before my early nutrition training was heavily focused on this too it was focused on weight on calories and counting everything and measuring everything and eating a set amount each day and doing enough exercise to outdo the energy that I was consuming so unhealthy and I was miserable I can't even remember exactly when I stopped using scales, but it would have been around the same time that I was pregnant with my first son, and this coincided with a whole shift in the research around calories, the importance of fat in our diets, which have twice as many calories as carbohydrate. And that just simply measuring calories in and calories out was not going to be conducive to an overall nutritional profile. And I would have had to weigh myself when I was pregnant. I went on and refused to look at that number with my second and third pregnancy. I do know with my first what that was because... I didn't even know that there was a choice to not look. I know that sounds crazy ridiculous, but I didn't. I thought I had to know. And as it turns out, well, you you don't. Your medical professionals can know, but you don't actually have to know. So that would be the last time that I had a knowledge of what I weighed, which is great because I had an actual human being inside me. When we look at our basic scales that someone would have in their home kind of defies basic scientific principles. None of these are calibrated or if they are, they might be calibrated once. You know, some of those scales have been in your home for like 10 years, 15 years that you just carry around with you and have never been checked. Like what piece of medical equipment would you trust that hadn't been calibrated regularly? And even the way that we use them which is that we just jump on them what multiple times a day and in different clothing and only do it once to accurately 
take a weight measurement, you need to keep some of these variables the same. You need to take the best of three reading. And to be honest, you meant to stand on them and steer straight ahead and have someone else recording that. None of us do any of that, aside from the fact that they are a measure of an outcome, not actual progress. And that outcome has got so many other compounding variables. It's not accurately measuring your vegetable intake, for example. It's not accurately measuring what you can do physically. It is only measuring your body weight at that particular time. And for women specifically, we have a menstrual cycle once a month where our entire uterus fills up with liquid. How are we going to expect to weigh the same when we have that change? For those of you that are postpartum and breastfeeding, again, you have a literal liquid in your body. (laughs) Hello, breast milk. It's very normal. It's very natural. And it's going to keep changing as it comes through your milk duct system. We are incredible beings to go through all of this, but it It's just like two very small examples of how we can't just look at our weight alone. The psychological factor is enormous and that's because our weight has historically been weighed up against our worth in the world and that's how we've been brought up. If you are thin and if you weigh x amount next to nothing let's say then you are more worthy how why for taking up as small amount of space on this planet as humanly possible how is your weight meant to determine your worth how does it show your confidence how does it show your cognitive ability how does it show how you problem solve or your resilience to overcome huge astronomical events in your life it doesn't and yet that whole minefield literally affects us to our core and that is why because of the world that we are operating in and because we can't change that what we do have in our control is whether we actually look at those scales at all. I firmly believe that you can have optimal well-being without needing to know what your actual weight is and to be honest it is going to do you more favors than knowing it because it's going to force you in a nice way to focus on the daily actions as opposed to that specific singular outcome. It's going to allow you that mental space to check back into your body. How do I feel today? Some of those mindful practices that I spoke about in that Food Foundations episode. You can do this. I am living, breathing proof that you can and I know the difference that it will make. I have had a couple of really big surgeries over the last three years and I specifically told the anaesthetist that I did not want to know what my weight was, that I would stand on the scales and I was really clear that they were not to read that out and I was not to see that at all. They needed to know that information, that's great, I did not. Imagine going into a surgery, a neurosurgery, fighting with every part of my body to recover from that, knowing that figure inside my head. 
not helpful, not positive. I understand the need to want to track your progress. So what I would highly encourage and support you to do is to look at the progress with your daily actions, with your food. How much energy is your food giving you? Is it giving you that vitality to do the things that you want to do? You can break it down further. How much vegetables are you having? Have you had a source of protein at every meal? These are some of the check-ins that I do with my one-on-one clients. And I know it's a hard shift because do you know what? Jumping on a scale and seeing that and beating ourselves up in some ways is kind of easier than doing the actual work. And I know for many of the listeners on here that you are mothers and With all the love and care in the world, do we want our children seeing us do this? Jumping on scales even from a young age, seeing us get deflated when that number isn't what we want? That's not what we want for our children, is it? What would we say to them? What would we say to a beautiful two-year-old, irrespective of gender? So we don't want to show them that either. And I know how hard this is because of our social conditioning. Throw your scales out. Have a ceremony. And do you know what? Even that might seem confronting. So put them in a box and tie the tape up at the very least and put them up somewhere high and watch where that resistance comes in. I would love you to do a scales smashing ceremony if you can because it would be so freeing for you. You are worth so, so much more than that figure on the scales. You contribute and provide value so much more to this world. Please throw them out. Well, that was a deep answer to our first caller question. Just to change tact a little bit, our second caller question was on toddler feeding and why I don't recommend using bribes or rewards. And to be honest, I actually think you can translate this to some of our own nutrition. The concept of a cheat meal or a cheat day, for example, because we've done what good eating for six days of the week, it's actually on the same vein. But with toddler feeding, There's sometimes the suggestion of using a reward chart, for example, or a sticker chart of when a child has eaten a certain amount or tried a certain amount. And even in day-to-day parenting practices, and I know that this is coming from a place of love, but it can be really easy with our toddlers to be like, will you just take a lick? Will you just try? Will you at least just have one pee? like an expanded version of a bribe. If you eat three bites of carrots or two bites of celery, then you will get ice cream. When you step back from all of this, it is providing a short-term solution without encouraging any long-term behavior change. So you may get results or the result that you would want quickly and of course you would I would eat three bites of carrots if I knew that there was a toy which in my case would be something that I really love I don't know I have an obsession over sports bras do you know what I would even possibly drink less coffee in a day if I got given that at the end of my week don't quote me on that because that would be quite a hard choice but that doesn't exist right so again why are we doing it with our toddlers 
the most important part here is that when we do this, we are taking away that division of responsibility. We are trying to do our toddler's job and we are not allowing them to make their own choices. And I know it is so hard. And what I would encourage you to look at is what is underneath all of this for you. I did a whole discourse in my PhD thesis at the end on the concept of a good mother in particular because it is mothers that are so frequently and this is cited in research and we know it in reality that carry the mental load of food and when our child eats well again I'm saying this with inverted commas or at least tries what we are providing them then we are a good parent and I guess what I would encourage you to consider is that allowing your child the choice and allowing them to experience that choice, whether that's a positive experience or a negative experience or a learning experience, I should say, I don't like to use the word negative, a learning experience, that if anything, that's that's kind of our, our role. Knowing that even the trying something is actually still their choice. And I know where it hits, right? Because there's so much time, so much money, so much love that gets poured into our food preparation. It's like, come on, will you just take a look? But even that is still wrapped into bribing. And children go through a whole categorizing and scripting process with food. And I expand a lot more on this in The Nourished Toddler visually seeing what the food is, is like step one. And this is where repeated exposure comes in. And this is why we don't want to use a bribe to taste it because sometimes that repeated exposure is literally having the food on their plate for an extended period of time. So they categorize that as a normal food to be eating. And to just take that really wide view as well is that I firmly believe that children don't need bribes and rewards for something as simple as eating food that someone else has done all the work for. That's not what we want to set them up for in life. We also want to get to the point where at an age-appropriate level that they are contributing to that load of the family food. It might be something as simple as unloading the dishwasher, being involved in the meal planning, and you'll be able to tailor this to the age and stage for your child. But getting rewards for eating something that someone else has earned the money for, done the meal planning, gone out and done the food shopping, cooked, cleaned, put away, all of the other parts of it... They don't need to be rewarded for that because where does that end? And even when they're contributing to the family food, I would also encourage that that's not given as pocket money because that's what you do as part of a family and that's what you do as an adult. You know, we are trying to set them up for life and that starts 
right at the beginning. So aside from the fact that it is a lot of admin, sticker charts, a lot of admin, providing rewards, not only can that get really expensive, and again, where does that end? Our mental load is big enough. Save yourself some time, some energy, some mental load. Keep that division of responsibility back on your toddlers, and I know that it's not easy. I really do. I've got lots of resources for you guys and as I've mentioned in other episodes I've got some great upcoming events both in person and online and I'd love to see you one way or another and we can unpack this a little bit further there too. And our third caller question this week which I thought was a great question is help there is so much confusing and conflicting advice online I don't even know where to start dissecting this. And I thought it was a great question because how do you? How do you know what you're reading is accurate? You can put pretty much any part of well-being, starting solids, toddler food into Google and you're going to get a massive confusing conflicting advice aside from the fact that so many of us just sit there and aimlessly scroll guilty as charged and it's like how 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 do you start I was in the kitchen and I was actually listening to another podcast and the interviewee mentions something about baby led weaning and I was like where did they get that information from and what they were saying was that if a baby doesn't have a baby led weaning experience or isn't eating in a baby led weaning way by 10 months that they are going to become picky eaters and I was like was that plucked from thin air because we don't have evidence of that most babies are not eating the physical pick something off their plate put it in their mouth chew chew and swallow it at 10 months we do want to give some baby led weaning experiences and there is no evidence to show that that's going to contribute to picky eating at all I will cover picky eating and fussy eating but again it's such a negative connotation with that and I was just like for listeners hearing that you know that's really confusing so some quick fireplaces to start when you are looking at the information that you are receiving. When we look at qualifications, and I know that this is tricky, and I'm going to talk about obviously some clinical experience that's going to add to that, but often the first place we'll go to is the qualifications someone has. And I think this is quite interesting on its own because often I get asked, why are you qualified to talk about this? I'm like, I have a PhD. When you are comparing qualifications, I would encourage you to at least look at someone that's got a master's or a PhD. There's enough of us that do. Specifically to nutrition, this is where it can get a little confusing because you've got nutritionists, you've got dietitians, and then you've got someone like me who's done a PhD in public health research and is covering a lot of those areas and not just food as well as physical activity and other aspects of well-being. Again, go back to my food foundations episode where I talk about those four cornerstones of well-being the reason I would suggest looking at someone with a master's or a PhD is because they've had some baseline training in critiquing research you don't get that in an undergrad degree that's the core part of a master's and a PhD when I did the oral defense for my PhD I was assessed on one singular thing which was have I made an original contribution to the body of knowledge in my area 
And of course, that's going to encompass all of the research skills that's required to do that. Have I found something that no one else has found before? I know that I use those same skills, those same core parts of research over and over again, because we're always going to get new information. You can't just be a specialist in one particular thing for the rest of your life because what happens when new information comes out how are you going to analyze that how are you going to critique it how are you going to pull apart the research methods and there's a term that we use in research which is called cherry picking of research and because we're in an age where research does get shared online we have to be really careful with this because we can't just pull out something from a research article without actually having a look at how was that research done? Was it robust research? What were the limitations of the research which may have contributed to those findings? You can hear that there's so much more to this, right? And it's not your job. <laughs> it's not your job to do that. And so again, to bring it back, this is why I would encourage looking. If you're just going to compare qualifications alone, Use that as a bit of a baseline because at least then you know that the person that is delivering that information has some skills and has had some ongoing training. Undergrad, you're looking at three years. Masters, you're looking at six years. PhD, you're looking at a minimum of 10 years. It does add up. When you are looking at the terminology that's used, and this will relate back to their qualifications, be really careful when someone says X causes Y. So in my field where I commonly see it is, well, this food is causing your baby to wake up at night. You know, in research, we'd never use the word cause. We may use terminology like highly associated, highly likely. It may be a contributing factor or variable. Very rarely would we say X causes Y. And especially without at least saying this is the most likely reason, but there may be some other variables at play. Also watch for just that singular association. You had protein at night and this was the one singular reason why your baby woke up that one particular night. Again, in research, we'd never just look at one isolated result. We would look at it over an extended period of time. So just be really careful with that. And I know it's hard because when I do a, a TikTok, it's 15 seconds. You know, there's a lot of info that can be crammed into that in 15 seconds, but it's very short. It's very sharp. You don't get that time to provide that big baseline information and, and talk about it. So I'm just giving you guys some snippets so that you can at least start to question it for yourselves. I know the challenge of making informed choices. I would also really encourage you to look at someone who's got some clinical work. All of the research that I've done, it's nothing compared to the day in, day out case studies that I do. I do two full consulting days a week and I'm normally back to back on them because all of that research in the world, little humans, they're so individual. And so it's about taking what I have learned through research, but still working with the people that I have in front of me. And when it comes particularly to baby and toddler feeding, not only am I working with the little humans, but also you, their parents. I think looking at someone that's actively doing clinical work as well, when you are looking at, at that advice, I think that's that's also really helpful. And this can be hard when you're seeing people that are social media influencers 
that are sharing what they're doing with their children. I see it all the time online and I just I wish I could say to them like be careful because you've got some really tired exhausted parents I understand that you want to share that this is what you're doing but be really careful with the words and terminology that that you're using it is great that it worked for you but this is not something that you've studied in this is not something that you are working with uh, in a professional capacity it's something that you have done with your children and that's great and do you know what this is one of the biggest challenges of our lifetime I still have to sometimes question things that I see online when you are tired and you are exhausted and it is something that you're struggling with just know that it's hard so if in any doubt get a second opinion. I even say that to my my one-on-one client. I say that at all my talks. To me, the most important thing is that you are making informed choices. Get a second opinion. Question it. I know what I went through in the oral defense for my PhD. I have no problems when people say, well, why, Julie? In fact, I encourage that. I'm like, please ask. Please push in. I am used to that. is kind of my job. I hope that's given you some things to at least think about or kind of plug away when you're looking at things online. Question, question, question everything. And when any little bits of doubt come up, check back in to you. At the end of the day, all of the advice, including mine, is only there to help and to support you while you figure out what's right for you and what's right for your children. Some great big topics this week. Throw out your scales if you've got them. Please throw them out. Let me know if you do. Bribes, rewards, I hope that's given you at least something to know what not to do. (laughs) Save yourself some angst with that. And I know that the alternative is not the easy route. I really do. But trust me when I say it will pay off in the long run. And I've seen it. I've seen it in my own children. I've seen it in the children that I I work with. And dissecting things online, it's a minefield. But hopefully now you've got a few little tidbits to take away. I do truly hope that you have the most wonderful day. And I will see you same time, same place next week. I just want to do a shout out to our incredible sponsor, 06 Coffee. As you all know, I am coffee obsessed. And 06 is a local New Zealand company, also very waste conscious. Coffee does not ask questions, coffee understands, and coffee gives you five minutes peace in the chaos, which I really hope you get today. Please use the code 1506 for 15% off. That's it for this week's episode. If you do have a question, please drop it into the contact page of my website or a DM on Instagram. Everything from food, well-being, business, motherhood and life questions are answered here. I do really hope you get in a peaceful cup of coffee or at least take some time to yourself today. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date and make sure you don't miss an episode. Until next week, with love, Dr Julie.